from the West Palm Beach Police Department Incident Report. Mike Olson dropped Jim off at Cherry Road in Congress at 5 a.m. on December 1st, 1979 and was heading for his motel at 1901 Okeechobee Boulevard. Not seen since. Olson's brother contacted by Jensen. Olson failed to contact brother on December 2nd by phone. Aside from the names and information like address and phone number of the reporting witnesses, Rick Jensen and Jim, as well as information about Mike's 1979 Maroon Pontiac Grand Prix, which was also missing, that is the total report that was done on December 3rd, 1979, two days after Mike went missing. So essentially, we have already lost valuable time, two days. The next day, another one-page report is typed up on December 4th. Sergeant Englehart with the West Palm Beach PD, who also took the original incident report from Jim and Rick, wrote the following. In speaking with reporting party and Jim, the story thus far is, Missing Person Olson received a $700 check from home this past week. On Friday night, he went to the dog track with Jim and may have lost about $50. From the dog track, they went to the Wildside Bar and then to Mr. G's until Mr. G's was closing, at which time Olson dropped Jim off at Cherry Road and Congress Avenue where Jim picked up his vehicle and went home. Olson had stated to Jim that he may be a little late to work Saturday morning. He was due at work at 7 a.m., but failed to arrive. It does not appear that he returned to his room at Howard Johnson's on Okeechobee Road, as his bags and clothing are still in the room. He was supposed to call his brother on December 2nd in Minnesota, but failed to do so. Ryder checked with County Jail this morning. Mr. Jensen states that Olson's mother telephoned the golf shop this morning and they had not heard anything from Olson yet. On the last night that Jim and Olson were together, Olson made a statement that he had a 1,200-mile drive ahead of him, but it's unknown to what he referred. It wasn't until three days later on December 7th 1979 that the Palm Beach Sheriff's Department sent up a helicopter to search for Mike and the vehicle. Then on December 8th, from Mike's father's notes, we learn that the family arrived in West Palm Beach at 1 a.m. One hour late, his note reads, baggage lost. The next day on December 9th, the family picked up a rental car at budget and then they went to the airport to see about their lost bags and they also visited the police department on that day. Mr. Olson's notes read, Waited most of the day to talk to Inglehart, 3.30 before we saw him. Went to the club about 1.30. Talked to Rich for about 15 minutes. Talked to Jack Sanford also. Got bags about 6 p.m. 10 p.m., Howard Johnson's Motel, room 223. On that same day, December 9th, there is a report written by Sergeant Englehart. His report reads, After taking this report at approximately 9 a.m. and speaking with friends of the missing man, Ryder put out a bolo and had the vehicle and man entered into FCIC on December 3, 1979. I want to clarify that part of this report on the 9th 
seems to be summarizing things that he had already done on previous days, but perhaps failed to document in the earlier supplementals. So on December 3rd, after taking the initial missing person report at 9 a.m., Sergeant Inglehart entered Mike and his car into FCIC, and this confirms the timeline for it being reported to police. They were called on Monday after Mike had gone missing in the wee hours of Saturday morning. Then the investigator noted that he had spoken to Jim on the 4th in the morning, and this is the story that Jim related to him. Jim had been working with Mike for the past two weeks since Mike had come from Minnesota to Florida. There were two other interview dates of Jim's listed, along with additional information that was obtained by police on those dates. Jim said that Mike had been to a rental agency on South Dixie numerous times since he had been in Florida, attempting to find a place to live. He went to that rental agency and he spoke with Alice McKinney from Quality Rentals. Both she and another employee described Mike as a fine young man. Alice shared an interaction that she had had with Mike when he was in the office on that Friday, late in the afternoon, before he had gone out on that fateful night. Alice was done for the day at the same time that Mike was leaving the office, so they walked outside to their cars together, and the banter between them suggested a bit of playfulness on Mike's part. He jokingly said, Do you want to buy my car? referring to the brand-new 79 Maroon Pontiac Grand Prix. Anne replied, yes, for $50. And then Mike countered, how about 250 a month? Anne said this conversation was in jest, and while some might argue, hmm, maybe he needed money and he was actually trying to sell his car, I am more apt to think that he was a 20-year-old kid chatting someone up that he had recently met because he's new in town and he is primed for making new connections. He had been to that agency a couple times that week. Now, the Olson family visited Naples on December 10th, and I assume this was to meet the private investigator, Jack Harwood, because what follows is a handwritten note that is dated December 12th, which documents a payment to the private investigator, and it was witnessed by Mike's brother, Jeff, at the Howard Johnson's motel. I want you guys to think about that for a minute. What this family endured in that week, learning that their son, their brother, was missing, dropping everything to fly to West Palm Beach. And they're staying in the same motel that their son stayed. I imagine that they hoped he would walk back in there, armed with an, aw, oh, shucks, and some very youthful reason for having scared the hell out of everybody. Meanwhile, that's not happening and instead they are left to wander around the hotel, around town, hoping to catch a glimpse of him or hear anything that sheds light on what might have occurred. Two weeks after the Olsons visited West Palm Beach, there is a letter from Jack Harwood, the private investigator, to John Olson, Mike's father, and it's dated January 23, 1980. This is a brief synopsis of our reports to keep you abreast of what has been accomplished. To date, we contacted Sergeant Inglehart of the West Palm Beach Police Department and received complete cooperation. We have reviewed their files, at which time we were pledged complete cooperation of the police department by Major Jameson. Upon reviewing these files, we found that the police department has done a complete investigation into this matter, but there are several avenues that should be pursued. 
I have interviewed Jim and found him to be completely cooperative and sincerely concerned, and we believe he was perfectly truthful in all of his answers to our questions. We then checked into the black woman that had supposedly left the motel without paying her bill on December 1st. We found that this information was partially unfounded. As it developed, she had paid for one day, but had not checked in until December 1st between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m. We did learn her identity and located the automobile that she was driving, and there is no doubt that she was engaged in some illegal activity. However, at this point we have not been able to connect it with the disappearance of your son. I am proceeding with several other possible leads. The private investigator then went on to discuss the printing of reward posters and noted that they would be put in, quote, strategical places in and around Mr. G's, the Wild Side, and Howard Johnson's. He added, I have contacted Captain Richard Sheets, Chief of the Homicide Department, with Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, and he is working with us on this matter, as the ship of Fool's Bar and Mr. G's and the surrounding area are out of the West Palm Beach Police Department jurisdiction. I want to clarify the mention of the Ship of Fool's Bar. Through research, we learned that the Wildside Bar changed name sometime in January of 1980, so actually while this was being investigated. By the time the private investigator was writing this letter to Mike's father, that change had occurred. Hence his mentioning in the letter of both names. But it is, in fact, the same location, 2440 North Okeechobee Boulevard. Now, in one article I noted that the private detective had sent a letter to every single person who stayed at the hotel at that time, and at some point he had located a couple from Arizona who said that they had stayed in the room above Mike and they had heard a scuffle on the night in question in the parking lot of the Howard Johnsons, but unfortunately that is where that lead fizzles out for our purposes. Police may have information on that couple from Arizona, but when I asked the family, they didn't know anything about it, and there wasn't anything in Mike's father's notes about it. Another article noted that a few officers had, quote, checked the water area around the hotel to no avail. But that's the sum total of what we know, anyway, about any ground searches of the water areas in 1979. Now, Adventures with Purpose did a search of Clear Lake, most of it anyway, and they didn't find anything related to Mike either, despite finding three other vehicles on that day. There were a couple other more details that I noted from a January 1981 article in the Minneapolis Star that was written by Ann Bratis. The family had provided Mike's Adina East class ring, his fraternity pin, some pictures and clothes to psychics. His father told reporters, The police and psychics think he's dead in a canal. But then he reiterated a story that police had told him about criminals possibly targeting his son for robbery. Florida police say theft rings can dismantle a car in hours and sell it for parts. They tell you down there that because of the influx of people and drugs, you've got people down there who would kill you if they had to, if they thought you had money or a new car. 
And here is what Mr. Olson repeated to this reporter in Minnesota in 1981 about what they knew of Mike's last hours before he went missing. He was off that Friday the 30th of November. He played golf, went to a housing rental agency looking for a permanent place to live. About 6 p.m. he joined friends from work to go to the dog races about a mile from the Howard Johnson's parking lot. He and the guys were gambling some, but nobody knows how much he won or how much he lost. So that tells us that it's 1981, a year after Mike went missing, and it is apparently still not clear if Mike won or lost that night at the track, which doesn't quite fit with the number of people who told me in interviews that they had been told Mike had won and been flashing around a lot of cash. That was the narrative that wound its way through the President Country Club bagroom and up to Mike's supervisors. Still, Mike's dad had said it was possible that he had a few thousand dollars on him because he had just cashed his paycheck and a $700 check from his parents. If he won on top of that, he may have had a wad of cash. Unfortunately, we don't know of anyone but Jim who told police that he had one. And what is written in the initial incident report is that Mike, quote, may have lost around 50 bucks. This same Minnesota article says, Olson and his friends went to a bar after the track closed to watch a 2 a.m. closed-circuit broadcast of a boxing match. Then they went to two other bars until closing time at 4 a.m. The guys said he didn't have that much to drink. Now, everyone I spoke to essentially stipulated to the fact that there was actually a fair amount of drinking going on, and I think it's possible that anyone who spoke with police at that time was soft-selling the alcohol consumption to protect Mike and to protect themselves. That detail about the 2 a.m. boxing match, however, is not mentioned in the initial incident report that I have. When I spoke with Dave, he didn't recall them having decided to go to another bar to watch a boxing match, but Paige did some research and learned that the match was also being broadcast at the Palm Beach Kennel Club that night, so they wouldn't really have needed to leave there to watch it. They may have wanted to, but they didn't need to. Rick, for his part, said this to me via email, himself opining. You are getting a somewhat whitewashed version. Alcohol was definitely involved with this situation. They were not watching boxing. They were at a strip club a notoriously bad strip club. The strip club to Hojo's is two minutes tops. It's three minutes from the church parking lot. A right and a U-turn. I was told that he had one big at the dog track. That 1981 story in the Minneapolis paper ended with this. Back in Edina that Sunday evening, the Olsons were waiting for their son's weekly phone call. The phone never rang. By Monday morning, the golf pro at the West Palm Beach Club called the Edina Country Club, and employees there told Sue Olson her son was missing. Mike's father said, The thing of it is, there just aren't any leads. Nobody knows anything. It's that not knowing that's worse than knowing. I could understand his running away, his death even. At least you know. When someone disappears, you're dealing with a totally different element than death. You start questioning everything, even God. 
Mike made a 15-minute phone call from his Howard Johnson's motel room to his friend Tom back home on the day that he went missing. I spoke with Tom. So he was uh, obviously down in Florida working at the golf course. And um, he was going to have Thanksgiving dinner with my grandmother because my grandmother lived down in Boca. And and so he uh, never made it there. Um, and so he called, you know, we were just, we talked all the time. And so he just called and, you know, explained why he wasn't there or whatever. And, you know, we talked about what he was doing and how he was doing and that type of thing. So did he say, what, did he give you a reason as to why he didn't go over there for Thanksgiving? Um, he said he, um, as I recall, and and I believe me, I've, (laughs) I've just stretched my brain over the last three or four days. Um, as, as I recall, it was something that he he was doing something with some friends that he had met at the golf course. Okay, and so that would have been the Thursday of that week, uh, the week right. prior. I mean, um, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, and that was that's kind of a sweet story, though. Did um had, had he met your grandmother before, or she was just kind of? Oh, gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah. so he knew he your was, grandmother. He was, he was my best friend. We had. We had many, many times together. So. Oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that. Okay. So, yeah. so did he? Right. Did Mike tell you how he was doing? If he was liking it there at the time? Yeah, he he liked it. He was lonely. Oh. Um, you know, just because he was getting to know new people, and I mean, because he had only been there, I, I think, like a couple months, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, he'd only no, he'd only been in town his, his two weeks total. He had okay. he had a week on the job. That's it. Um, yeah. So his yeah. him and his brother drove up in the middle of November, and his brother stayed with him like a week. And right. then the day his brother left, he started his first day, and then it was a week, a little over a week, and he was gone. Um, so, do you know why he chose to go specifically to West Palm? Yeah, um, he wanted to be in the golf business. And, you know, he had worked at Edina Country Club for years. Um, and somebody set him up with the, with a position down there. And so he must have been a pretty independent type person to drive, to move all the way across the country for, it was it only supposed to be for so many months and then he was going to come back to school? Is that how it was going to work? You know, it, it wasn't sure. It was kind of uh, going to be down there and, and see how it went and see what happened. Huh. And was any part of it that he just wasn't happy when he, where he was, you know, in Edina? He wanted something new? Or was it just that he thought this would be a, a, a step up for his actual, you know, the job that he wanted to be in or he, what he was interested in? It, well, he loved golf. And mm-hmm. he, loved, uh, he loved his work at the country club. Um, and so... I think that you know. I mean, and he was a, he went to the U for a little bit, University mm-hmm. of Minnesota, and I think he just kind of thought to himself, "I'm going to go try something different and maybe go into the golf business." Hmm. So. so, was there anything else that you remember from that conversation at all? It looks like it was about a 15 minute conversation. You said he was sort of. Um, yeah, I mean, we just you know, it was, it was more catching up. You know, how you doing? What's going on? How, how was you know? He asked about our Thanksgiving and, you know, I mean, we just, it was just a regular conversation. Yeah. And other than just being a little lonely because he was new there and he had only been there two weeks. Yeah. That was basically yeah. all that you, you know, and right. he, he, did he mention any of the friends that he'd met by name or just a group of guys that he'd no, met? No, I think it was more people that he worked with. Okay. You know, the guy worked with yep that sounds about right so what i'm yep. learning so far so now then so when did you learn that he was missing 
December 1st, Jeff called me. I'll never forget it. So the next day? Yeah. And how? what did Jeff say? He said, have you talked to, to Mike? And I said, I did last night, um, and but I haven't yet. And he said that he was missing. They couldn't find him. Oh, boy. He didn't show up to work or something. I, yeah, I mean, it, I'm a little fuzzy on the... Yeah. But I remember the conversation vividly, or the crux of it. Right. So, you know, what happened then is, you know, we got on the horn and called everybody, right? We called all the friends and, you know, everybody that might have had contact with them and asked if they had seen them and nobody had. And so, um, you know, it, we kind of went about it. And then I did get a police a call from the police and I, I I can't remember if it was the Dinah police or if it was the uh, Palm Beach police. Do you remember what they were asking you? Just basically what I'm asking you, what the call was about? Yeah. yeah. You know, was he happy? Did he, you know, would he, would he just pick up and go, you right. know, without telling anybody? Was, you know, did he want to disappear? That type of stuff. Right. That's it. Huh. Yeah. Was he in any trouble? That type of thing. So. Um, had you ever been, like, to the dog track with him? I'm just curious no, how much. No, because they, they had that down there, uh, down in Florida. Well, I had heard, and I can't remember who it was from, that he had won some money at the track. Well, that's what we had heard, no, too. But then yeah. that's not what the police report says. The police right. report, the first thing they said was that he may have lost $50. So we're trying to track down when, where, the, where the nexus of that first time someone said, one right. versus lost. Now, remember, we only have about 18 pages of the police report. So if anyone changed their story or, or expanded upon something, uh, you know, afterward. Well, I talked to another guy named Brad who was at his hotel room with Jim the night that, I guess, the same day you talked to him. And, and do you remember what time you talked to him? What was it? It, does it? Do you remember what time of day it was? I don't. I can't remember if it was afternoon or if it was evening. Early evening, I can't remember. Because around six or so, five, six, they would have been getting together doing that. So it may have been earlier in the day that you spoke with him. Right. Um, that you spoke with him. You didn't um, hear na people in the background or anything, did you, when you talked to him? No. Okay. No. So that must have been. But the other guy I talked to, Brad, was one of the people that was uh, there at his um, room with him that night. And he just said Mike was getting ready to go out and Jim, him and Jim were going to go to the track. He wasn't going to go to the track. He was going to go track down an apartment that maybe him and um, Mike would be trying to take. They were looking for a place. And yeah, um, so right. he's going to look for it, but then he couldn't find it. And then he, he, the next thing he knows, he's getting a call the next morning that, yeah. um, that Mike wasn't there. And then, so when he tries to rouse Mike at the hotel room, um, by phone they say they sent housekeeping up there and he's not there so he calls jim in the back room and says what happened where's mike he's not in his room he didn't show up and he said i don't know and so he relays the words you know he was wheeling trifectas and um so that i guess to say that he's winning i you know i don't know what wheeling trifectas means yeah that would that would make sense i mean i think i don't know what wheeling means either but i can totally see ollie doing the the trifecta stuff yeah and that's where you bet on multiple horses and you know he, he i mean there, there was not a guy that was more fun to hang around with than mike olson really like tell me a little about him tell me what you remember about him anything that you think will you know people would enjoy hearing or would tell explain who he was 
Yeah, oh. sorry. Oh no, gosh. Uh, all right. <laughs> uh, oh. We don't have to continue if you can't. No, that's fine. It's fine. Um, he was just a great guy. You know, he'd give you the shirt off his back. What kind of things was he interested in? Uh, having fun. I mean, he, he was all about it. I mean, he was all about, you know, doing what he could and, and you know, earning a living and, and, and going out and enjoying life. I mean, he was great. He was really funny. Um, it's just a great guy. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. I'm sorry that I have to be asking you these questions. It's fine. Well, it's not. It's not fine that we don't know all the way this many years later what's none of this is fine um yeah, I know. Yeah. do you know no don't apologize do you know um was he i think the guys were drinking that night was mike a big drinker yeah he did yeah he drank i don't know you know huge drinker but he drank yeah we all did yeah but and nobody there to go out with and like, he was just a lot of fun and a great guy well, I mean, he was just a good friend and cared about everybody. So, hmm. you know, it was awesome. So, or he was awesome. I mean, that's why it's so hard. Yeah. It's the shredding in his voice for me, you know? The way that it's all too clear when you hear Tom and his family speak that the passage of time has done absolutely nothing to dull that ache of the unknown. It is catastrophic, the damage that unsolved cases wreak upon the secondary victims. There is just no more apt word for it, particularly in missing persons cases, when the image in their heads is someone literally disappearing into thin air. And there can't help but be some tiny, lingering vestige of hope even after all these years, that because they just don't know, maybe he's out there somewhere. Maybe. But I am here to assure you that those maybes might as well be bullets or a knife to the gut. Those maybes can kill you. Please stay tuned.